Well, my friends, good morning. I am excited to share God's Word with us this morning. Are you ready? Yeah. Yeah? Okay. Well, I want to start by telling you about me in high school. So when I was in high school, I, I was wet a lot. Okay, I was wet a lot in high school. Not because I wet the bed, but because I spent a lot of time in the water. Okay, here's what my day would look like. I would wake up, head down to the beach, I'd go surfing for a couple hours. I grew up in Ventura. So I'd go surfing, I'd get out of the water, I'd go straight to work where I worked as a lifeguard, and I also taught swim lessons. So I'd get to work, I'd get back in the water, out of my wetsuit, into board shorts, in the water. Then I'd go straight to practice, okay, and I played water polo. So I'd go from work, straight to practice, back in the water for a couple more hours. I'd get out of the water, I'd go meet up with a couple friends, and it was common practice for us to sneak into the Marriott, and we would use their jacuzzi, okay? It was great. Like, we weren't actually staying there, but... It just worked, you know, we were 18. So I'd be back in the water, I'd head home, and it was amazing because my whole day was in the water, like 90% of the day was in the water. And in the mix, I'd kind of be transferring from like wetsuit to board shorts to Speedo, and I'd have all these towels in my car, and it was just kind of a mess. And I know what you're thinking, I'd get home at the end of the day, and I'd take everything out, right? I'd, I'd wash it all, hang dry it, fold it up, put it back in my car. But no. <laughs> no, I figured out a more efficient way to deal with this problem. And what I do is that I just leave it in my car. It was perfect. I just leave it in there. And everything would dry out. It was great. And honestly, at first, it was horrendous, the smell. Because, <laughs> like, seawater, chlorine dirty towels, all mixing together, but I realized after only about a day, everything would completely dry out, and I wouldn't even notice that it was there. I wouldn't even notice that these things were in my car, but then there'd come this point where I'd want to use something. I'd want to use my wetsuit, and it's just totally crispy, like sand is crusted on it, it's dried out, and so I'd be forced to take it out, hose it off, and just let it soak in the water on my lawn, and I could use it again. And I kind of go through this cycle, right? The truth is, we often find ourselves in a similar cycle. In our spiritual journeys with Jesus, as we're following him, we can actually slowly become dry spiritually, sometimes without even noticing It just kind of happens in the background. Like we're so distracted with everything else going on. Sometimes we don't even notice how dry we actually are spiritually or how distant we are from God. But then there comes a similar point where our dryness actually awakens this hunger for renewal. It makes us hungry. We begin to crave something new. And most of us, we know what this feels like. We know what it feels like to feel dry, right? If you've been feeling, following Jesus for any length of time, you know what it feels like to feel just tired or depleted, 
distant from God, just discouraged, or even hopeless and defeated. And honestly, some of us are here right now. If we're really being honest, some of us just feel dry even today. And to be honest, this is a unique message to give on Ezekiel about these dry bones that we're going to look at because I've even been dealing with some dry areas in my own life and God has been using this text to just work on me in like the last month. So that, that, may, that may be you today. And I think that when we're feeling dry, sometimes even... Things like reading the Bible, it can just feel flat. Even community can feel hollow. Even going to church can just feel kind of mechanical. And I think we even, we find ourselves asking questions in these seasons like, what good is it? What's the point? What's, what's going to change? Like, do I really have to listen to another sermon? What's the point? Have you ever asked any of these questions? Is it just me? Yeah? Okay. Come on. But there comes this point where our dryness, it awakens this hunger for renewal. And you see, feeling dry, or to use some other words, feeling just discouraged, depressed, flat, empty, hopeless, uncertain of the future, all of these feelings, they make us hungry for renewal and restoration. And so I believe that Ezekiel chapter 37, that's what we're going to be looking at today, it offers us this vision of renewal, one that we don't have to figure out on our own, and one where the power actually comes from outside of ourselves. So if you would, turn with me to Ezekiel Chapter 37, we're going to be settling into verses 1 to 14, and you can find it in your Bibles or scroll there on your device. And while you're getting there, um, let me give you just a little previously on, okay? So you know, if you've ever watched a complicated show, you know how important the previously on is, right? Like if anyone, did anyone ever watch Lost, that show, right? Really complicated show, and the previously on was really helpful, okay? The story of Israel, it's, it's oddly similar to Lost, okay? It really, it is. Bunch of people wandering around, the others, okay? And this will be review for some of you. If you've been here, we've already looked at Daniel and Jeremiah, they were both contemporaries of Ezekiel. But let me just give you a little previously on. Basically, you know Israel. They are a people group, God's chosen people. They once were a united kingdom. This was under guys like Saul, David, Solomon, right around 1000 BC, somewhere around there. After Solomon, he has two sons. What are their names? Rehoboam and Jeroboam, and the kingdom splits. There's a disagreement over taxes. The whole kingdom actually splits because of that. And there's a northern kingdom of Israel, southern kingdom of Judah, right? It's right around 930. 
the northern kingdom, a couple hundred years later, is exiled to Assyria. This is like 722. And there's guys like Amos and Hosea and Jonah that are prophets in the north. Okay? Another hundred years, right around 600, the southern kingdom is exiled to Babylon. And that's what we've been looking at the past couple weeks. We've been looking at Daniel and Jeremiah, and they're prophets at the same time. So these people are removed from their home and taken to an entirely different land. Now, if none of that really mattered to you, here's the thing that's really important. The year 586, okay? This is when the city of Jerusalem was destroyed. The, the temple was destroyed. The city wall was demolished. People are already in exile, but this was the moment. This was the worst catastrophe that had ever happened to Israel up until this point. All hope was lost. Because even prior to the city being destroyed, there were people in exile, but there was still a little bit of hope. They could still, there was a glimmer of going back to Jerusalem. But after their city was destroyed, they, they were hopeless. There wasn't anything to go back to. And so this is the world that Ezekiel, he steps into. He steps into a really dry, barren land and is preaching to people who've been disobedient and distant from God. And he's actually, he's only 25 years old when he's part of the first group that's in exile. There's all, kind of, all kinds of dates given in Ezekiel, so we, we know that. And God gives him a really difficult task. So if you're wondering about this book, the book of Ezekiel itself, I'm just going to give you a summary, okay, before we look at these verses. And here's my summary. It's a bummer. Okay? That's it. Now you know the book of Ezekiel. And honestly, I don't think my seminary professors would be satisfied with that summary, but it's the truth. Because most of the book, like for over 30 chapters, Ezekiel's called to this ministry and he's just preaching like repentance and God's judgment on these people because they've turned away and they just keep not listening. It gets worse and worse. And Ezekiel basically says, it's going to keep getting worse if you don't turn back. It's going to get worse. It's going to get worse. And then it does. So here's what I envision going down. God, he comes to Ezekiel and he's like, yo, Zeke, I want you to preach to my people. I want you to preach repentance, but I also want you to remind them that I've gone with them. I haven't abandoned them. My presence has gone with them into Babylon. And Zeke, he's like, okay, cool. I'm up for it. I'm up for the challenge. And Ezekiel, he's kind of walking out the door, and God's like, oh, one more thing. I forgot to tell you, but my people, they're not going to listen to you. But <laughs> preach anyways. That's so discouraging. Can you imagine if, if Don came to me? He's like, hey, Kyle, I want you to preach on October 20th. Here's the text. One more thing. The people in our church are not going to listen to you, but preach anyways. That'd be such a bummer. He didn't say that, by the way. <laughs> Don't worry. 
But this is what Ezekiel is up against. But there's a turning point in chapter 33, and the tone shifts to hope. Ezekiel starts preaching renewal and restoration and revival. And that is where we find ourselves today. In chapter 37, it's a little slice out of the book of Ezekiel in this section of hope for the future. So let's look at it together. Look at verse 1 with me. We're just going to jump right in. It says, The hand of the Lord came upon me, and he brought me out by the Spirit of the Lord and set me down in the middle of a valley. It was full of bones. He led me all around them. There were very many lying in the valley, and they were very dry. Now we have to understand this is a vision. It's a metaphor. It's a picture that God is giving to Ezekiel to reveal, he's given to Ezekiel to reveal Israel's spiritual state, that, that they are these dry bones. And we actually don't even have to guess who the bones are. I'll give you a spoiler. If you look at verse 11, it says really simply, these bones are the whole house of Israel. God gives an interpretation of this vision. So God is, is bringing Ezekiel to this valley to see what's going on. He's seeing all these bones. God is actually giving him his perspective to see how bad it is, to see where Israel is at. And note that these bones, they're very dry. They'd been there a long time. This is after the crisis. Because Jerusalem has already been destroyed. They're in exile. They have no hope. And you know what that feels like. In crisis, there's still a little bit of hope. Even if things are really bad, there still, still may be someone to call. But after the crisis, years after, it can feel hopeless. So here's the point. God is showing Ezekiel exactly how bad this situation is. He doesn't try to cover up how bad Israel has become, that they've been disobedient and distant from God, and he doesn't try to minimize their pain. That's why he uses bones for the metaphor. Like it doesn't get worse than bones, right? And then God asks Ezekiel this question in verse 3, if you'll look at it. He says, can these bones live? Now, it's sort of a ridiculous question because they're bones, but we've got to pay attention to it. And you know this because when, when God asks a question, he's not asking it because he doesn't know the answer. Like, he's God. He's asking it to actually put Ezekiel in a place where he has to exercise his faith. And it's beautiful, Ezekiel's response. He just says, oh Lord, you know. Shouldn't that be our prayer a lot of the time? Oh Lord, you know. He doesn't analyze the question. He doesn't ask a follow-up question. He doesn't become cynical. He just acknowledges that the Lord knows. So God has led him to this valley. He's given him his perspective 
and seeing these dry bones, and he asks him this question, can these bones live? Is it possible? God answers his own question. And you know what? He, he actually, rather than just answering, he shows his work. Because God could have, he could have just said, yes, these bones are going to live. Now watch me just snap my fingers and bring them to life. But he doesn't do that. He actually shows Ezekiel what he's going to do. And I remember struggling my way through calculus. Did anyone else struggle in math? Yeah? Yeah? A couple people? I, I struggled because I didn't know how to do it. <laughs> so I just never really learned like, how to do the problems. And so I'd get to, I'd get to the test and I would just try to do the, the problems in my head, and I, I'd get a right answer every once in a while. Most of the time, I didn't. But when I'd get my test back, my calc teacher, Mr. Overton, he would write in these big letters, show your work. That ever happened to anyone in math class, right? And if you're a teacher, you know this. You know that you want your students to understand how they got there. It's more than just getting the answer, right? You want them to understand, how did you get there? It's almost more important. And that is what's happening here in this valley. God is showing his work to Ezekiel. If you'll see in verse 4, God shows Ezekiel exactly what's going to happen, what to do. He says, He tells Ezekiel to prophesy or preach to these bones. And he says he's going to cause breath to enter these bones. He's going to to lay sinews on them and bring flesh upon these skeletons and literally bring them to life. This is God's answer to that question. So in order to experience this kind of renewal that we're going to see, we need perspective. We need God's perspective. We need to be like Ezekiel and allow him to take us to these dry places and actually have his vision for what's going on. Because sometimes we're just out of touch with how dry we actually are. We need perspective for God to show us the bones in our own life. And other times, we actually know how bad things are. Like, we know that we're in a dry place, and we also need God's perspective for what could be. Because God, he doesn't only reveal these bones in this valley, he offers hopeful instructions for what's going to happen. We need God's perspective. So we, we have this picture of this scene. It's a wild scene of skeletons being raised to life. And we have an idea of what could happen. So let's look at the actual process of this renewal, okay? Would you look at verse 7 with me? This is Ezekiel. He says, So I prophesied as I'd been commanded. And as I prophesied, suddenly there was this noise, a rattling And the bones came together, bone to bone. I looked, and there were sinews or tendons on them. Flesh had come upon them. Skin covered them. 
but there was no breath in them. So here's what's happening. God invites Ezekiel into this process of renewal. Do you see that? Like Ezekiel, he actually has a role to play, which is really cool because he's not just sitting around watching God do his thing. He's not just sitting there as a passive observer watching God bring new life to these bones, but he's actually right in the middle of it. God's like, Ezekiel, I want you right here. You're going to be the one to preach to these bones. You're going to prophesy to them. We're going to be working together to bring renewal. And it's a picture of what he's actually doing with Israel as a prophet. There's this synergy that's going on in their relationship. Can you see that? It reminded me of a verse in 2 Corinthians chapter 6. It says that as God's co-workers, we urge you not to receive God's grace in vain. Have you seen that word in the New Testament? Co-workers, co-laborers, my fellow workers. It's this word, sunogeo. Sunogeo, to work with, cooperate with, or co-labor with. And it's where we get our English word synergy. That's what's happening here between Ezekiel and God. God's invited him into this process And Ezekiel is cooperating with him. But the really good news is that although Ezekiel participates in this process, the power comes from God. It's going to come from the breath, from the wind. And I think we forget that sometimes. We, we can even stress out over this idea of how am I going to be renewed? How am I going to find my way back to God? How am I going to experience nearness with Him? And what I see here is that Ezekiel is just yielding himself to God in this work, but the power comes from the breath. It's what we see in verse 9. Prior to this moment in the text, these were just corpses. They looked like humans, but they were still dead. They needed breath to come fully alive. And what's beautiful about that word breath, in Hebrew it's ruach. Can you say that? Ruach. And it means breath, wind, and spirit. So there's, there's some wordplay going on here that the ancient audience, they would have understood, and it's like a little nod to the audience to be thinking about God's Spirit every time this word breath shows up in the way that we see it. And this is, this is the turning point in the text. It's the hinge moment where God's breath or His Spirit breathes into these bones, and that's when they come alive. There was a time that I learned a lot about wind. I don't know if you've ever studied the wind very much, but it was when I was, I was riding my bicycle from Seattle to New York City. 
And it was a really long bike ride. It took <laughs> like 50 days. We were riding like 80 to 100 miles every day. And let me tell you, I have never thought about wind so much in my entire life. Every day, being on a bicycle for like eight hours, I think about the wind. Because you know, if you've ridden a bike before, that a headwind can be your worst enemy, and a tailwind could be your best friend. And I remember these specific moments, like riding over the Continental Divide in Montana. We had a headwind just blasting us, and we're going uphill like three miles per hour. And it was awful, but there were these other moments, like in North Dakota, where it'd just be these endless straightaways, like 40 miles between villages, basically, and we'd have a tailwind. And it's like we would just position ourselves in the flow of the wind, and all of a sudden, that was our power. The wind became our power. We, we were still steering the bike, right? We were still pedaling. We were still watching the road. But all of a sudden, we weren't breathing as hard because the wind gave us a little lift. It was actually pushing us. And that's what I see happening here. Is that Ezekiel, he is being faithful to God and is helping to build this frame by preaching to these bones, prophesying, they're coming together. But ultimately, God is the one that provides the power for this kind of renewal to take place. Ezekiel just builds the frame, but God, he provides the fuel. The fuel, the power, the source of energy, it all comes from the Holy Spirit. And a lot of times, we, we're just like these bones, right? We feel dry. We can be discouraged. feels like there aren't answers. There's unknowns about the future, things that are uncertain, like things might be coming to mind for you right now. This is how we feel. But we can hope for renewal and revival and restoration because God has literally put his spirit inside of us. He's given us all the power. We don't have to try to muster up strength on our own. God's already offered it to us. And all we have to do is ask now think about this. What if, what if you haven't experienced renewal in your life because you haven't asked for it? What if, what if you haven't been experiencing renewal from God because you haven't asked? And that might, that might be some of us. The truth is, some of you have asked. Some of you have been asking for God's renewal in your life, for restoration in some area, for healing. You've been on your knees crying out to God, seeking his direction, and you're actually just waiting. So how do we wait? How do we wait on God in these seasons? We wait with hopeful expectation. And I love how our boy John Ortberg says that biblically waiting 
is not just something we have to do until we get what we want, but waiting is a part of the process of becoming what God wants us to be. Isn't that good? Waiting, it's not just something we have to do until we get what we want. Waiting is a part of the process of becoming what God wants us to be. And remember, jumping back to Israel, these people in exile, this is a vision of their renewal, but they're in exile for 70 years. This doesn't just happen overnight. They are waiting on God for him to bring them back to Jerusalem, to bring them back home, to spiritually revive them. Does that make sense? They're waiting. And so that is why in the end of this passage, God gives a promise. That's the last section in these verses. If you look at it with me, God gives a promise of hope. And the important thing in this section, we'll just look at a couple verses in it, is that God, he promises two things. He promises spiritual revival and physical revival. If you'll see in verse 12, God says, I'm going to bring you back to the land of Israel. He's saying, I'm going to bring you back home. I'm going to do it. That's the physical revival. And then in verse 14, God says, I'm going to put my spirit within you and you shall live. That is the spiritual revival that's going to take place. And here's the deal. The reason these promises should fill us with hope is because God kept his word. So in order to experience this kind of renewal, we have to cling to these promises. Because we have the rest of the story. Right? We know that Israel returned from exile. We know that there was... This dude, King Cyrus from Persia, Persia, that came in and actually freed them. Like in 538, they went back. We have Ezra and Nehemiah that give accounts of the return and rebuilding the wall. We know that it happened. And we also, we have the New Testament. We know that the spiritual renewal took place because We have Acts 2. We know that the Holy Spirit came and descended on the early church and filled those early believers with a supernatural power. Even Jesus, when he appeared after the resurrection to his disciples, do you know what he did? He breathed on them. He breathed on his disciples and said, receive the Holy Spirit, John 20, 22. So this should really encourage us because this is the age we live in. That if you are in Christ, you literally have the Holy Spirit as an advocate and helper and your power living inside of you. So how, how can we respond to this kind of vision? It's a wild story, right? Of these skeletons coming together and God's breath, his spirit filling them. How do we respond for us that are, that are longing for renewal in our lives? And 
I just, I want to make it really simple for us today. Um, You'll see on your notes that we need God's perspective. We participate in the process and we cling to these promises. And what I want is for you to just, just hold on to one of those and take it to God in prayer. Whatever, if you sense the Holy Spirit just nudging you in a certain direction or actually saying something else to you this morning, just lean into that. Because my guess is that I'm not the only one in this room that experiences these dry seasons. And the thing about these three is that they're movements. These are are movements that take time. It doesn't all happen at once. And so some of you, you might just need perspective right now. Take it to God in prayer and ask for his vision. Ask for his eyesight. Like you know that for where you're at right now, you just had tunnel vision, head down, focused, and you need God to just pull you back to see the bigger picture of what's going on. Some of you have done that. Like you feel like you have perspective and you actually need to take some steps. Like you need to jump into the process and participate. Like you might be sensing that God is just moving in your heart that you know you just need to make the call. You know the person that's coming to mind right now or you know you just need to confess something and get it off your chest or you know that You've just been thinking about scheduling a counseling appointment for far too long, right? You need to take a step. Take it to God in prayer and ask him for courage. Ask him for courage to participate. And maybe you've done all that and you're just waiting, okay? Here's what I would say to you. You may know where you are dry, and you feel like you're just waiting on God, and I would invite you to ask God honestly for patience. To ask Him for a, a supernatural ability to trust in these promises. Trust that renewal will come, because this is the heart of our God, isn't it? Our God is one that is making all things new. He longs for the renewal of Israel, but also for the renewal of our hearts. Some of us really need it right now. And so I just want to encourage you this morning to know that our God, He does His best work a lot of times in the driest places. In the driest areas of our life, his breath and spirit flows in and all it requires is us making ourselves available to his Holy Spirit. So I'm going to invite the band to come back up and... We have like 15 or so more minutes. And so I just encourage you to not rush through this. Um, 
I'd encourage you to go to prayer before God. And if, if there's something that he's bringing to mind for you right now, bring it to him. Lay it at his feet. Ask for his renewal. Could you pray with me? Lord God, you are a powerful God. We thank you for your spirit, that you are here with us now in this room, and that you are so much bigger than a sermon, than a sanctuary, than this church, that you have the power to speak. And so I pray that whatever has been said this morning, that you would just even interpret, that even now your Holy Spirit would be here moving in our hearts. And for those of us that just feel dry and discouraged, God, would you revive us? Would you bring revival and renewal to our souls? Would you bring revival and renewal to this church? God, have your way. Have your way in this place. We believe that you are a powerful God. That you are making all things new. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you just stay for a moment in this place? Because I sense that God is longing to renew us and even bring renewal to this community, to this church. as we are in a posture of just standing before God and listening to Him, I want to just remind you of something real quick. It's about revival. I was reading and studying this last week a bit about revival movements. You know about some of these, like the Welsh revival and this revival in Scotland back in the 1800s, the Great Awakening. And you know what all these revivals had in common? They all happened in the context of community and they all started with prayer. The sort of renewal we've been talking about today, it was given to a group of people, Israel, not just one person. We do this in community and it starts with prayer. There was this one revival, the Hebrides revival, I read about, and it just started with these two women. One was 82, the other was 84. And they just started praying for their community from like 10 p.m. to 3 a.m. every night. They were praying, these women. And it just set the place on fire. God's spirit came in a new way 
And I believe that's all God is calling us to today, is to be faithful in calling on his name. So as we go even into this week, just know that the God who breathes life into the driest, darkest places goes before us. He's made a way. May you be filled with the breath of life this morning that only comes from our God who is faithful. Lord, renew us. Have your way. Amen. Go with God.